church. How's everybody doing this morning? I trust all is well. You're doing good where you're at this morning. Man, I sure wish we were all together this morning, but we can't do that today. Well, we will be back again next Sunday. Look forward to that. And um, in the meantime, don't forget to continue to lift up our community and our nation and our land in prayer before the Lord because uh, this is desperate times and a lot of disruption obviously happening. And uh, this is the time where we need to be on our knees and be seeking the face of our God. So just want to encourage you to do that. And um, so we're going to jump into some stuff this morning. I think it'll be a little bit of fun. But before I do, I have to share a little bit of story. There was a company that they feel felt like they needed just kind of implement a little shakeup. Things were getting a little stale around there, so they hired a, a fiery CEO and uh, brought him in to the company. And so the first day, the CEO wanted to see the company, and <clears throat> so he got a tour and said, hey, give me, show, me the, show me this company, and, and he's walking around the facility, and, and he noticed a guy leaning up against a wall. And he thought, okay, this is it. This is, this is the guy that I'm going to make... Uh, I'm going to make an example of right here. So we walked up to that young man, and he said to him, he said, dude, how much money do you make a week? And he just kind of looked at him, and he said, uh, I make $200 a week. And uh, the CEO pulled out his wallet. He counted off $200. He slammed it into his fist, in his, in his hand. He said, now, get out of here, and don't you come back. And he just thought he really made a great impression that everybody knew that there was a new sheriff in town. And the young man just smiled and said, thank you, sir, and just marched out of the facility. Uh, sure enough, a few minutes later, the, the CEO with a really stern face looked around and says, can anyone here tell me what that little slacker did around here? And uh, one fellow muttered and he said, um, well, sir, I can just tell you, you just fired the Pizza Hut delivery driver right there, just right there on the spot, just down the street. <laughs> well, this morning I want you to know that we are in the middle of some major disruption, and uh, there's a lot going on in our, in our world right now. So we did a little series called Steady As She Goes, and we started it last week, and just talking about just the need in times of peril to just be steady, to remain firm, to remain steadfast. Um, to keep our focus locked in into the purpose and the very call of God on our life. And not to lose sight of the fact that even in these kind of times, we can still find great joy. You know, it's not like it's the first time there's ever been a disruption in the face of the earth. Many times we find that the great people have risen up in through the ranks and through um, the, into society and through uh, the world through moments like we've had even now recently. So this is a scripture that I have really found to be even more genuine to my heart, precious. I want to share with you as well this morning. I just want you to read this with me, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise and shine for your light has come. Everybody say has come, right? Has come. It's not might come, it could come, it has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Yes, that's you, not, not the person next to you, it rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over the peoples, but the Lord, the Lord rises over you. He rises upon you, His glory appears 
over you. I love that passage of Scripture. It's powerful, and I believe it's a word that we need to grab a hold of in this hour that we're living in. So we started this little series, um, Steady As She Goes, but I really want to talk a little bit from where we jumped off last week um, and then continue on, that we serve a generational God. When you find in the scripture, uh, people um, referring to Abraham, many times they would refer to him as the God, or the God of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they would always talk about this instead of just saying the God of Abraham. They would throw in Jacob or Isaac and Jacob as well, his son and grandson. I believe that there's a, there's a real truth in that as an underlying meaning through all that, that God is a God who seeks to uh, perform his will in not just one generation, not even the second generation, but even the third and even the fourth and multiple generations as well. How many have been aware of the generational genes that maybe you had that you received from your father or mother, maybe genes that you didn't like, maybe genes you're really glad you got. I know my son, he loved playing basketball and growing up in school. Uh, of course, playing basketball these days, there's kind of a, one of the requirements that you really need to have is that you're tall. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get the tall gene. And so many times he would come kind of just walk up to me and he would just kind of mutter under his breath, I sure wish I had some other jeans. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? So I just bought him another pair of jeans, and then and we called it good. I'm just kidding. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, here we go. Listen to this. Therefore, this is powerful. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Notice the word great and cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. The race that you have to run and that I have to run is not just my race, but it's also a race that has been passed on to me that I'm continuing from the generation before. Last week, I pulled out my trusted baton that I carry around in my house. It actually came from the closet. It's my wife's vacuum cleaner attachment. And, uh, but it looks like you wouldn't have known that if I hadn't told you. But we talked about how one generation passes the baton to the next generation and how God is cannot... You cannot look at God and his will and his purposes in just the context of you and your lifetime. It, is a, it has to be looked at in the context, literally, of an entire, uh, an entire um, generations of generations. And so we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses. I can, I can almost sense, and maybe you've experienced this, and maybe you've sensed maybe uh, driving down the road, someone that was dear to you before and their thought, the thought of them came to your mind and, and you begin to just, as you're driving along or walking or just doing the dishes, whatever you're doing, the thought of them came to your heart, came to your mind and, and, and you just felt like strength, you know, almost like, you know, this is, this is bigger than just my life. Um, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and there's been a baton passed to us. When you think of that, you have to think of this word synergy. Now, we've talked about this before. and Some of you are familiar with that term. Synergy is different uh, than perhaps your typical addition or even um, mathematic equations. Typically, we would say one plus one equals two. But when you introduce synergy into the formula, 
then one plus one doesn't equal two. It equals maybe three or four or five or six or ten. Basically, it's the concept that if you do something on your own, you can get this much effort. And if I do something on my own, I can get this much effort. And the thought is, if we just combined our efforts together, then we would get the sum equal of both of our efforts by ourselves together. But synergy comes in to play, which really it's hard to understand, but it is true. And that is when, 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 when I join my forces with you and you join your forces with me, then it's no longer one plus one equals two. It's, it, now it's multiplication. Now one plus one is four, 10, 12, 15, 20. And, and so what I'm saying is if, if you want to ex- experience God do something great in your life, and then just do it by yourself. And you'll just get whatever you put into it. And you can do what you want to do there, and I'll do what I want to do over here. And basically, what we'll have is just addition working in our life. But if we will combine our efforts together, combine our faith together, combine our prayers together, combine our, our vision together, guess what? We get, we get to begin to experience what God has introduced into the world called power, the power of God. It is synergy at work. I want to just kind of bring this up to you. I want to let this cat out of the bag. We um, have been meeting um, together with some other pastors in our area. We've been meeting several weeks, um, excuse me, for several years, even taking some of us going on a four-day prayer retreat eight hours away and just seeking the Lord. And we had just kind of felt like recently that the Lord was calling us to take it to another level. And to, you know, challenge all the churches to come together. Uh, and so what we've decided to do is on September, what is the date? September 26th, uh, just in a few weeks, not too far from now, we're going to have what we call baldwinpraise.com. Baldwinpraise.com. You can go to your website. You can go actually to your Facebook page and look at baldwinpraise.com or Bible and Praise, and you can join that group. And what we're going to do is we're going to have two uh, prayer events going on, one up in Daphne in the morning on that Saturday morning, and one going on up in Robertsdale that Saturday evening. And we're just going to bring all the churches together, and we're going to seek the Lord in behalf of our nation. Come on, how many know that's, that, that's called synergy right there? That's called us coming together and letting the power of God begin to move in our behalf. So, so we need to tap in to the prayers of those who've gone before us. We need to tap in to the baton that's been passed on to us in our generation. We need to, listen to this, we need to, we need to walk in the prayers. Can you, we talked last week how even prayers have no ending point. Prayers just keep going on and going on and going, circling the earth until, until they're answered. Prayers that have been prayed by George Washington, prayers that have been prayed by uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great, uh, the great revivalist, the prayers prayed by John Adams and Cotton Mather, the great pastor in Boston, prayers that have been prayed by Charles Finney, the great revivalist in the 1800s, and Abe Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr., Billy Graham and others, the prayers that have been prayed over our nation that were never answered. We need to come together. We need to seek the Lord and say, God, come and, and do something powerful in our land and join our faith with their faith. You know, the Lord really kind of um, made this real to me. And, and in fact, it challenged me to make trips up to the East Coast where the spiritual roots of our nation actually began. 
And I've taken many trips uh, up there to uh, Baltimore and D.C. and those areas, Philadelphia, all those areas where the roots of our nation were, began and, and really just begin to walk around and just begin to try to grab a sense of the original purpose that God had for our nation. How many know that God's purpose, original purpose for something doesn't change? His purpose is still the same. And I just really began to ask the Lord, Father, would you just really just bathe in me the heart that you have for our nation? In fact, the Lord answered that prayer, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize this, but he actually encouraged me and asked me if I would move from the Midwest uh, in a very comfortable place we were in and, to, and just live by faith and go up and live in the Boston area. And we didn't really know a whole lot about the area and found ourselves living uh, found a little apartment to, to, to kind of live in right there in a place called Danvers, Massachusetts. It used to be called Old Salem, Massachusetts. And, and little did I know when we moving in, the two houses down, uh, there was like this, like, it was almost like a, a little tiny farm in the middle of this big city. And uh, I didn't even know really what it was. And someone said it was the Rebecca Nurse Homestead. And I'm like, okay, whatever that, it must have been a nurse that lived there. Well, no, it wasn't. Actually, what it was was the home of Rebecca Nurse, 1692, who was falsely accused of being a rich, a witch. She was a, a mighty, powerful Christian woman, falsely accused of being a witch. And, and she died there at the hands of people who had accused her of being a, a witch, along with 13 other women, five other men. It was a tragedy for our nation. Basically, it was the beginning of the fall of, of a theocratic heritage that was beginning in our nation. And, 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 and from that point on, it was just like, a, a, dem, like a, a demise, almost like a principality began to work inside the church to bring about a, a confusion of the very purposes of our nation. I remember going down to that little homestead. It was a historic place now, and I would walk around that little homestead, and I would sit there. They had a little, even a like kind of a graveside and, and some other little barns and things. I would sit underneath the trees looking over this little historic place and asking the Lord, God, would you come and would you restore the roots of our nation again? Would you come, Lord, and come and, and blow again a great awakening across the face of our nation? Uh, interesting enough, during that time, my mother had to be, happened to be coming up and was visiting with us at the time. So we, her and I got in the car and we took a little drive and we didn't know really where we were going. We found ourselves at a little, like a seaport called Newburyport, Massachusetts. And we just didn't know anything about that land, didn't know anything and drove up and saw this old white clapboard house. Not a house, actually. It was, it was actually a church. I'll show you a picture of that in a minute. But it was founded by a man by the name of George Whitfield. I'll show you a picture of that. George Whitfield. George Whitfield came to America from England. And in the 1740s, he became one of the most fiery revivalist preachers ever to hit our land. In fact, he would preach to thousands and thousands of people in the 1740s, 50s, and 60s. And he would preach with such power and passion that people would come from miles around. In fact, at about that time, there was only about 18,000 people that lived in Boston proper, if you can imagine. And they said they would ha he would have crowds. He would come and preach in the middle of the Boston 
township, and there would be more than 20 plus thousand people there. More people than were in the entire city would come from everywhere to hear. Benjamin Franklin would talk about George Whitfield and how he would be so moved by this man's love for God and his passion and the conviction that he brought. In fact, Benjamin Franklin told his friend, he said, you need to come to me to the meeting tonight to hear George Whitfield out in the open air preaching with no amplification, just his lungs. And everyone could hear him as if they were standing in the very front of him. Imagine that. And Benjamin Franklin told his friend, he said, but whatever you do, leave your billfold at home because I promise you the man will take every dollar you got. <laughs> but not, not because he wanted money. It's simply because he was so filled with passion that Benjamin Franklin just wanted to give to the cause of Christianity. So George Whitfield came and he, so he started a church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. I didn't even know this. And this is the church. You can see the church there that he started in that, that time period in the 1700s. Um, and so he started this church, and, and um, I did, again, we just drove up, and I saw this church, and, and uh, I thought, well, I wonder what, the, and there was this little sign, a historic sign, that George Whitfield started this church. I'm, I'm like, what in the world? Seriously? Of course, I knew all about George Whitfield, but I did not know this. And so I said to my mother, I said, I, I got to go up and just lay my hands on this building. This is incredible. What a powerful, there was an incredible great awakening that blew across our nation. Thousands of people came to Christ as a result of this man and a few others that would preach about the returning, returning our hearts into Christ and to the Lord. So I just went up, just wanted to just touch the building, you know, just to say I touched the building that George Whitfield preached in and founded. And uh, just, I said, you know, just a crazy little wild here, I'm going to go try to open the door. And I went and literally, I turned that knob and I opened this huge, magnificent wooden door and it opened. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And so I, I just kind of walked in and I poked my head around. It was, if you can imagine, a several hundred year old building. And, I, and I, so I said, hello. And there was nothing, no one, crickets. And so I, I walked around, hello, hello, nothing. I went up and it had a balcony and everything. I walked around the balcony. I could see the, I could see the platform. I could see the pulpit where even they still had services to this day. And um, and so I, I'm like, this is amazing. I was like breathtaking because I was literally walking in, 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 in American revivalist history. So I made my way down the aisle and I was kind of sneaking around the side of the platform, just being nosy. And I saw a plaque and there's a plaque. I'll show you this plaque. And this plaque said that George Whitfield was buried underneath this platform underneath the podium where he preached, they, they buried him underneath the platform. You know, I don't know. I think that would be like pretty cool. I mean, I, it, let me just tell you right now, if you want to ever bury me, bury me under the church, right? Come on, where all the church meets, all the brothers. So I can be with all the brothers and sisters. I'm just playing with you, but I, not a bad idea. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this man's buried right here. And I can't explain it to you, but I felt like, I had this incredible holy moment. And I, I said, I just got to go up onto this platform. I'll show you, the, pla I'll show you the, the platform. Here's the platform. I walked up onto this platform, and I literally, I laid down um, over just where I can imagine he stood at one time. Now, now you think, well, that's really weird. Let me just tell you why, because a scripture came to my mind. 
about a man that was dead in the Old Testament. And they were burying him. And but while they were burying this man, while they were digging the hole in the ground, the raiders came to rob them. And so they didn't have time to bury him. So right next to them was like this cave where Elisha had been buried. So uh, was in the, had been buried. His bones were still there. The, they, the Bible says that they threw this man into this cave and ran off. And the dead man hit the bones of this old dead Elisha's bones and came to life. That story came to my mind when I looked at that platform. And so I said to my, and I laid on that platform, I said, Lord, I know there's an old dead man underneath this platform. I know this sounds crazy, but God, would you sweep across our land again like you did in the days of George Whitfield? Would you blow into our lives? Would, the, would you cause the, the pulpits to thunder again with the power and the passion of the gospel of Christ? Lord, you can do it again. You did it then, you can do it now. Come on. I believe that God wants to do something powerful in our land. There is a generational handoff that he wants to make in our land and that he wants to do it now. I, while I'm on the journey with you, and we're taking this little journey together, I would walk down many times. The church that I was helping at that time in Salem, Massachusetts was about two blocks away from a wharf called Pickering Wharf in Salem, Massachusetts. I walked down to that wharf and, and it was there. I remembered the story that the first missionary that ever left the shores of America. You can, you can see the picture of Pickering Wharf right there. The first missionary that ever set sail from the very shores of America happened right there. And I stood right there, kind of where that building's at and, and where that ship is at, and, and I said, Lord, you did it then, do it again. Adoniram Judson was the first missionary. You can maybe see a picture of this incredible man who was the first missionary really sent out from America. And he went to Burma for 40 years and he gave his life and eventually would form out of his life and his experience and his faith, the Baptist Association formed simply to support missionaries. I began early in my life as following the Lord to have a hunger to see what are the roots of our nation. Where did we come from? And what did God have in mind for our nation to begin with? You won't find these things, these kind of truths, in a typical classroom in a school. You'll have history books, but they won't give you the very causes and reasons why some of these people that we consider our founding fathers did some of the things they did. Uh, there's a book I read, and um, maybe I have a picture of it, called The Light in the Darkness by Peter Marshall. And this book, probably more than most any book I've ever read, changed my life. And it gave me an understanding like I'd never had before of the Christian perspective behind what God had in mind for our nation. So many stories. I encourage you, if you don't have anything to do, or if you do have something to do, you need to read that book. It will change your view of history of the United States and how we were so supernaturally birthed by God. Our forefathers created a government from reading the Bible. Did you know that? Our, go our government was formed from their reading of the Bible, specifically Isaiah 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is he who will save us. And they established, even from that verse, the three branches of government. 
He's our judge, the judicial branch. He is our lawgiver, the legislative branch. He is our king, the executive branch. And from even that one scripture, our nation took its cue from the scripture, from the Bible, and said, this is how we're going to build this great democracy. John Locke, a great philosopher and Christian theologian of his time, a few years before we ever came to America and began to start our nation, would have a great influence upon our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, John Adams. They would read his works and they would, many of their, many of their laws and principles came from the writings of this Christian man. So we have a lot to, to live from and a lot to, to live for. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just briefly just share this, and I'll close from this. And I got some more to share next week, and I wish I had more time to talk. But I just want you to know this morning that God has his hand upon our land. And this is a, a land, as I've said several times already, that has been supernaturally birthed by God. And God has not given up on this land. What our land needs, our land needs an awakening. It needs a revival. And, and, and because it needs, and so we, we need to ask the Lord for that. And we need to believe God for that. And as we believe God for an awakening, as we believe God for a transformation to begin to sweep across our land, guess what? God will, God will begin to do that. He can only respond to our prayers. You've heard me say before. So we pray, so we seek. He says, if my people, you know, that means you, you're his people. It's, we, that, that is it. If my people, can you imagine? You are one of the family. You're the family of God. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. That's us. That's me. That's you. If we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, we'll seek his face, repent of our sins, turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear. He will forgive. He will, he will respond and he will heal our land. And so we're believing that. This is a very important time. And I believe our nation, listen to me, listen, listen to me, listen to me. This is a very important season in our land. It's a very important season. And we cannot miss important seasons, important moments. And all throughout history, there are certain pivotal moments that have taken place. I read a book one time called The Seven Greatest events that changed the course of the world. And they talked about how each one of these events, if they had gone a different way, would have changed the whole course of our history and our future. This, I believe, that this moment we're in is very pivotal. And, and it's so pivotal that the enemy is trying to do everything he can to distract us from this season, to pray, to seek his face. He's trying to keep us busy. He's trying to keep us preoccupied. He's trying to get us fearful and living in fear. He's trying to cause us to be distracted in so many ways that we are not even going to the one place that we need to be going to in this hour, and that is to our knees and praying. And I am guilty as well. And so I ask you to join me in this season leading up uh, and to this fall and beyond that God would begin to shake our country leading up to September 26 as we come together and pray as one body in Baldwin County seeking the Lord. Mm. You know, I, 
wish I had a picture to show you, but about six pastors we got together this past Tuesday. And you know, this sound, may sound crazy, but that's okay. But we found on our phones, now you can do this, the highest point of, you know, your area. So we wanted to find the highest point in Baldwin County. Well, you know, that's pretty hard to do because, you know, it's all pretty much flat. But we found the highest point in Baldwin County, and it's up north, uh, above Baymanette, almost out of Baldwin County. And we went to that exact spot on our phones through GPS where it's the highest point. And we got some sticks, four, in fact, four wooden sticks. We painted them red. Maybe I'll bring a picture, show you next week. And we, we hammered them into the ground. And we stood around these four stakes, the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we prayed for our, for our county. We prayed for our land. We prayed for our nation. And we put stakes in the ground. And we reminded the Lord of his own word, that he who rules from the high places rules. And we said, Lord, come from this even high point of Baldwin County and begin to move and flow across our land, across our nation. I encourage you to join us with that. You'll hear more about Baldwin Praise in the future, but go to the Facebook, sign up, be a part of that. I encourage you to do that. Can we just pray together as we close this morning? Father, we thank you for the season that we're in. And we realize it's an important season. And so, Father, first of all, we just pray. We pray against the, the uh, sicknesses that have occurred in our region and, we, and even in our land. And we continue, Lord, to stand in agreement that, Lord, you're a healing God and that you, uh, you're, you're going to restore and raise up uh, those, Lord God, that have been affected by, um, by a virus. We pray, Father, that, that it will be a testimony of your power and your greatness. We thank you that you're bringing other churches, other ministries together, and we're joining forces, and, and synergies begin to take in, is beginning to take place. We thank you for that, and we thank you, oh God, that, that our finest hour is in front of us. Lord, this isn't the hour to back down. This isn't the moment, the season to, to back off. This is the season to put the accelerator to the floor. And Lord, to begin to walk fully, Lord, in the manifestation of your glory. You said, Lord, the world literally is looking. They're groaning. They're moaning hoping, praying that there would be some kind of a manifestation of the sons of God. And so, Lord, as your people, we declare we are, we're all in. We're throwing our hat into the ring. We're saying, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Here, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek, as Patrick prayed, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're declaring that your glory come into the earth. It would sweep across our land and that people, Lord, by the thousands and the millions will begin to have a revival across their land, their hearts and in their homes. Lord, where people have been throwing rocks and, and yelling and screaming in anger and mad and, 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 and full, Lord God, of, of, of all sorts of poisonous words and venom, we ask that you will heal the land and you'll restore that with love and kindness and gentleness and, and let that be the rule of the day. Cause, Lord, your very glory to be seen. We thank you for that. We believe you for that. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen and amen. And we're so glad you've been watching with us today. At Summit Church, we, if you are new, please fill out an online connect card. 
uh, to, and we'd just love to stay connected with you. And as well, if you really would love for prayer, to have prayer, things like that, we have prayer every Monday night at the Summit Church live at 6.30. We'd love to pray with you. If you've given your heart to the Lord or want to give your heart to the Lord, please give us a call. We want to pray with you as well. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and we will see you next Sunday.